Why does the story of the prodigal son end with a meal? It's really a very important question. The parable is, first and foremost, about God's mercy and forgiveness. But if that had been the only message Jesus intended to give us here, wouldn't it have made more sense to conclude the story with the father kissing and embracing his repentant son? That's how a Hollywood producer would probably have ended it. The two men would have tearfully embraced. Of course, there would have been some syrupy music playing in the background. Then the credits would have rolled and the scene would have faded out. See, I could have been a Hollywood producer. <laughs> but that, of course, is not how it ended. It ends with the meal. Why? I'm convinced it's because Jesus was also trying to teach us something here, something very important here, about the Eucharist. Specifically about the importance and the necessity of receiving the Eucharist worthily. I say that because the meal the prodigal son shared with his dad when he finally came back was more than just an occasion for some nice conversation and some great food. It was also a joyous celebration of unity. Or more properly speaking, it was a joyous celebration of the reunification of a merciful father and his repentant child. To coin a theological expression, the son had just been restored to the state of grace. And thus it was his privilege to eat once again with his father at his father's table. And isn't that precisely what the Catholic Church teaches about receiving the Eucharist? This is something many Catholics are not clear about. Remember what St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, A man should examine himself first. That is, in order to determine whether he is in the state of grace or not. Only then should he eat of the Eucharistic bread and drink of the cup. Based on these words of St. Paul, not on Father Ray's idea, on the words of St. Paul and the teaching of Scripture, Based on that, the Church teaches that if we have committed a serious sin, a mortal sin, such as missing Mass on a Sunday or Holy Day without a good reason, or intense hatred for another human being, or some kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, either homosexual or heterosexual, with another person or with oneself. If we've done anything like that, we should not come to the Lord's table until we have been reconciled with our Heavenly Father. And the ordinary means for being reconciled with God our Heavenly Father after we receive the sacrament of baptism is in and through the sacrament of confession. Now, this important teaching of the Church is reflected in the parable itself. As the story begins, the young son, the younger son, is very clearly a member of the family in good standing. What the father said to his older brother later on could have been said to this younger son at the very beginning. Son, you are with me always. Everything I have is yours. See, that's the way it is, spiritually speaking, for Catholics 
who are in the state of grace. They are members of God's family in good standing, and all the sacramental graces that come through the Church are available to them. Praise God. But unfortunately, the younger boy wasn't content to stay where he was. I remember asking the teenagers at youth group one night to share with me their thoughts on this parable. Some of them had some very perceptive insights. They almost always do. You know, when you give teenagers a chance, they come through sometimes, big time. When I read to them the line about the younger son's departure, I said to them, what do you think the significance is of the word all in that text? It says there that the boy took all his belongings and went to a distant country. Well, one of the teenagers raised his hand and he said, well, obviously, Father Ray, he wasn't planning to come back. Ever. I said, you, my friend, are absolutely correct. He was cutting himself off completely from his family. Spiritually, that's exactly what mortal sin is, is it not? It's a sin whereby we sever our bond of friendship with God. We cut ourselves off from all the sacramental graces which come to us through our spiritual family, the Church. We are spiritually dead in the same sense that the son, the younger son in this parable, was dead. Remember, his father calls him that twice. He wasn't physically dead. He was spiritually dead. But the inter interesting thing is, we still remain a member of the family, even in mortal sin. We still remain a member of the Church, albeit an estranged member. Now this is something that people in mortal sin sometimes forget, and it often keeps them from coming back to the Lord. They think they're too far gone. And wasn't that precisely the problem of the prodigal son? That's what almost kept him from going back to his dad. He was convinced he had been disowned by his father. He thought he was so disconnected from his family that the only way he could possibly go back was as a servant. But when his father greeted him with love and mercy, the boy realized, thankfully, that he was still his father's son. That he had always been his father's son, even when he was off with the prostitutes. And so it is with every serious sinner who returns to the Heavenly Father in the sacrament of confession. That person is immediately welcomed back. And his status in the family of God, that is to say the Church, is immediately restored. Then, and only then, is this prodigal Catholic able to come to the Lord's table and receive the Eucharist worthily once again. Just as the prodigal son was able to sit down and eat with his dad only after he had been forgiven. Which brings us, finally, to the situation of the older brother at the very end of the story. Instead of rejoicing, instead of being happy and joining in the festivities, this boy appears to have committed a mortal sin himself. Because suddenly, he's the one who's not able to go in and share the meal with his father and with his family. We're told here that when he heard about his brother's return and about the banquet his father has pre had prepared, 
he, quote, became angry and refused to enter the house, end of quote. It seems that his anger against his younger brother was so intense, it was so deep, that it made him incapable of sharing in the family meal. The words of St. John in his first letter come to mind here. And this is a text we all need to know by heart. St. John in his first letter says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Well, from all external indications at least, that's precisely where this older brother was at. And what does the father do? Does he say to him, as he could have, you spoiled brat, you ungrateful kid, get out of here. No. Amazingly, the father humbles himself and goes out to his stubborn son, pleading with him. He pleads with him to let go of his anger and to be reunited with his family and his brother. If we ever commit a mortal sin, which I pray we never do, but if it ever happens, and we are hesitant about going to confession, about repenting, I think it would be very good for us to imagine a similar scene in our own mind. We should imagine Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, physically walking up to us and pleading with us to repent and to make a good confession. I don't know about you, but I would find it very hard to refuse the pleading, the begging of the Son of God himself. When President Abraham Lincoln was asked how he intended to treat the rebellious Southerners who fought on the side of the Confederacy during the Civil War, Lincoln answered that question by saying, I will treat them as if they had never been away. My brothers and sisters, when repentant Catholics receive absolution in the confessional, that's precisely how God, our loving and merciful Father, pledges to treat them. See, that's the good news. And that's why they can come to his table once again and receive his son's body and blood worthily as if they had never been away.